Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. I'm glad you could attend. Again, you are listening to the Let's Talk Hemp podcast. I am your host, Morris Beagle. Welcome to the show. Welcome to episode six of season four here on the Let's Talk Hemp Volume Up podcast. Today we are changing things up a bit as I will have only one guest on the show, and that guest today is Doug Fine, good friend of mine. And that one guest situation is probably going to be the case for the next five episodes. I'm traveling quite a bit over the next few months and getting things in place for the remainder of 2021 after what I consider was a quite successful NOCO Hemp Expo. We pulled it off. Hundreds of exhibitors, thousands of attendees, and lots and lots and lots of positive feedback. It's impossible to please everyone all the time, but we did our best. Thanks to the incredible WAFPA team for stepping it up and kicking ass the last year, and thanks to all of our sponsors, exhibitors, speakers, event partners, attendees, and everyone else for helping us pull off a large trade show in the midst of the COVID pandemic. This was truly a team and industry effort of epic proportions. I want to give a shout out to my episode five guest, Andrea Herman from Hemp Production Services, Ruth Shamai, founder of Ruth's Foods, and Mike Fada, founder of Manitoba Harvest, for sharing their time and insight into the early days of the Canadian hemp industry and how Canada became the global leader in hemp foods over the last 20 plus years. If you didn't catch the episode, you can download it, listen to it on demand at your convenience from a number of different platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and iHeartRadio podcast. I also would like to mention the next episode after today's will air on April 29th. And as of this taping, I'm not 100% sure who my guest will be, but tune in regardless because I'm sure they will be awesome. And with that, I am going to get my good friend Doug Fine up next, and we are going to talk about regenerative entrepreneurship, New Mexico cannabis legalization, and several other things of interest. Be back soon. No matter what side of the fence you sit, we can all agree that hemp is good for this country. Whether it's the new opportunities it presents for our farmers, the jobs it creates in our communities, the health products that are entering the marketplace, or the positive environmental impact it has on this planet, there are endless reasons to be a friend of hemp. Please join Friends of Hemp today to connect with others who are cheering hemp forward. Visit friendsofhemp.org to learn how you can become a friend of hemp. And here we go. I got my good buddy, Doug Fine, on the line. What's happening, Doug? Morris, it's so awesome to be with you um, here. Folks may not be able to see it, but I'm here as always with the hemp printed 3D goat in the Funky Butte Ranch barn. Well, you're looking at me right now holding up a delicious handful, old organic goat poop and seasoned alfalfa that's going on my garden. I and my family's chores at this time of year is soil building. It's all about regenerative hemp farming here on the Funky Butte Ranch. So it's it's awesome to be here. And also congratulations on NOCO 7. Outstanding. Well, I appreciate that. And as you know, it's been a long road to get to NOCO 7, but we got there and we made it through and we had really a fantastic response from 95% plus of the people. You can't satisfy all the people all the time, as you know, but 
unfortunately you couldn't make it there in person but on the flip side you were there we brought you uh we had a nice pop-up of you that made it around the venue and got lots of pictures with lots of people and you delivered an awesome little 20-minute keynote via video i appreciate that and it's sort of on the topic of what we'll be talking about today about regenerative entrepreneurialism how there's a win-win in this, I mean, we call it a new business model, but it's really, if you go by, you know, 10 or 12,000 years of humanity, duh, it's like everything you learned in kindergarten, do what you do in a way that you can do it again next year. And that's just been this little step that's been missing from humanity's thinking uh, for a couple of centuries. And that's what we kind of at the, at the uh, spear point of the, of the hemp revival are bringing back. It's not just about hemp. But hemp is really leading the way because embedded in the hemp brand, if we're smart, is this concept of regenerative values. And, yeah, we'll talk about the, you know, humanity uh, tenure extending side of it. But there's this other bottom line win-win, which is your hemp is better quality. In my opinion, night and day, side-by-side, bioavailability, quality, terpene profile, everything is better when you're growing under God's sun and native soil that you're building yourself from as many local inputs as possible. So it's not like it's one or the other. It's not like an entrepreneur, a smart entrepreneur is going into this going, well, I mean, someday when we're profitable, maybe we can have a regenerative line of, it's like, well, or yeah, but, or you could just do great, a great product right from the get go. And that's the, that's the, I don't even want to call it a niche. That I, that I like to speak for and that I like to practice. It's more like hemp's leading brand. I agree completely. And you've been talking about this ever since we met at, at NOCO One when you released Hemp Bound. And you've been on this regenerative agriculture path and beating that drum. And really, that's the first I became completely familiar with regenerative agriculture is through you. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. And I appreciate being an influence on on someone who's been in it as long as you, Colorado Hemp Company, now approaching its tenth anniversary. That's a long time for any enterprise to to thrive. So congratulations on that. And and also, I know that you, having been in the music industry before, were feeling bad about all the plastic CD cases. So you were coming in with regenerative values. And I mean, I'm holding a past piece of regenerative plastic printed from U.S. Grown Hemp as we speak. So we know that uh, it's like this concept that I like to write about of connecting the dots in our work and our life. We all have blinders and nobody's perfect, right? I mean, if your enterprise is growing regeneratively in the way that we described in the ground, bottling your your bottles in uh, uh, glass that can be uh, reused, repurposed, or, or returned, compostable labels, delivered in electric vehicles within a hundred mile radius, okay, you go to heaven. Okay. I mean, not that I'm the, but so nobody's there, nobody's perfect. Right. But we have these willful, the burying our heads in the sand, which in my view, we can't anymore. This is the ninth inning for humanity, two outs, and we either make good decisions or not. And the good news is it's not like, Oh, we're going to live in sackcloths and uh, suffer. It's just, it's actually the opposite. It's uh, it's like I said, in addition to all the, the goat poop and stuff we're putting on our own garden for our own superfood here, I here on, on the ranch here in New Mexico, we just grow for our own food, flour, and fiber, but also for seed and genetic development, hoping to build good seed stock to provide to other farmers. 
uh, especially when the THC definition of hemp gets up to 1% here, um, which we can talk about a little bit. I think it'll happen this year. But, you know, with the, we also go uh, up into our watershed and gather mycelium and brew it out into a, a beneficial fungal tea. Folks are realizing the benefits of uh, building good local fungus in their soil. And in the end, in my opinion, you know, it's hemp, hemp is a big tent. And uh, we're not anywhere near a point where we can start criticizing anybody else's modes. But in my opinion, your hemp quality that results when you harvest, let's say, that seed, that superfood with that protein and those minerals, the selenium and the magnesium and all of it, it's so far superior. It's like the difference between uh, folks who live in the tropics and pull an orange off their tree and juice that versus buying concentrate from 17 different countries and that sour, bitter taste. That's going to be the difference. I, I don't think that many people are going to be going to their chain drugstore buying fungible cannabinoids from God knows where. I think they're going to be, I hope, they're going to be waking up and buying, or maybe they already know, buying their their region's hemp farmers. The way that we would buy a fine local wine or a fine cheese, it's that concept of terroir where the quality between a, a, a cheese that you'd find in a particular region um, of Wisconsin or France is going to be so, it's not even the same thing that you'd find in a packaged orange in a supermarket. And that's, I think, the leading brand for hemp. I agree. Helping rebuild our local food systems. And then that also is about a rethinking of business modes as well. And again, it's a, hemp is a big tent. I'm not, I'm not refusing to, to talk to anyone or, or, or work, work with anyone. And my, again, personal opinion here, I'm very entrepreneurial. I love the idea of people working just as hard and generating just as much value as ever in, in the entrepreneurial world. The only difference, it's like these little, we only need to like tweak our humanity and our modes a little bit in certain areas, right? And one of them is regenerative modes in the ground or regenerative business. But the other one, like you said, is engaging in the idea of regional, local and regional uh, business mode. So what does that mean? I'm not saying cancel the, st- the stock market and cancel hedge funds. I'm just saying the enterprises that I want to support are taking that entrepreneurial mode, just as much revenue, but instead of it going to far off shareholders or hedge fund who couldn't give a crud about re- a region's farmers, their community, the quality of life in these regions, we're saying one of my slogans I love this time, the farmers are in charge. We're actually, I urge folks, if you're a consumer listening to this podcast, not someone that's that's active producer in the hemp industry, seek out, look at the bottle, go to the farmer's market, go to your food co-op and ask these questions. Say, okay, I'm looking at this bottle. Is this, is this company at least partly, if not wholly owned by the people that are making it? Look for co-ops like the Fat Pig Society in Fort Collins, Colorado. Look for just farmer-owned entities. I think of my friends at Vermont Pharmacy in uh, in Vermont that are just straight-up farm-to-product. And I am that way with my product, too, although my product's very small scale. I just try to walk the walk, Mars, because we, as we know, in this age, there's so many pundits who like to talk and have never done it themselves. So I at least want to know what it's like to actually try to pro- pro- you know, produce your own line of hemp start to finish from planting the seeds to putting it in the bottle and getting getting it out to people. And you've been doing it, and you've been doing it really since I met you. So congratulations on that. Thank you, and thanks for helping the world spread 
the word spread about hemp uh, world worldwide. I mean, the reach of of NOCO now is I don't think there's a country in the world. I remember Kramer talking about Michael Richards, the actor from Seinfeld, said that during the Seinfeld, he said, I just wanted, he loved it, never wanted it, but he's, he wanted after seasoning or whatever to get away from it, right? And he, he, uh, he said, I'm going to Bali. And he flew to Bali and took the bus four hours to the guest house and walked into the forest. And the first people he met went, Kramer! <laughs> and that's how NOCO is with uh, hemp. You, you can't go anywhere where people don't know about NOCO and people don't know about the, the hemp renaissance. So thanks for your work, Lizzie's work, Lori's work, and all the people, press and all the people who have been involved in this uh, renaissance, because that's what it is. People are listening to us. You know, I was active um, here in New Mexico this past legislative session here in 2021, Gregorian 2021, I should say. I'm more of a lunar calendar guy. And it was a great session. Some great, great things happened for cannabis hemp in New Mexico, including full cannabis legalization. But what I noticed is that legislators, they full on are hearing it and listening to it. Our Department of Agriculture, like when you get into the sausage making, they are so awesome because some of them are trained like so many farmers have been for this last century to just think in these monoculture, large acreage loan cycle of debt. You got to get the loans from the banks in order to get the this and get the equipment. And then you get plant a million acres of just this. And you talk to them and you go, but actually here in New Mexico, like in many places, if you have farmers that are growing 20 or fewer acres, they can make lucrative livings for their communities while building soil. And it's not just about a few farmers, corporations with absentee owners growing a billion. And again, big tent. I'm not criticizing anybody who wants to grow a zillion acres of hemp organically. That's a great idea. I support that. But what I'm getting at is that when you explain these regenerative modes now and discuss it with the highest levels of authority, they get it. They know. They have heard it. They've gotten the memo. And they're willing to help even on the federal level, right? You and I have been working hard on this 1% definition change for hemp. I think it's going to happen this year. Do you? I hope so. I really do. But And you know it's after the 1%. It's going to be in use. Uh, irrelevant. That is the ultimate goal. But we got to get to 1% first, and we're going to. And hopefully it does happen this year. So for folks who aren't familiar with the concept, so what we're talking about here is nobody throughout history separated cannabis into different segments based on its end use. There were different cultivars that were better for one thing versus another, let's say a strong fiber or a medicinal effect or a healthy seed. But for the most part, it was just cannabis. So for instance, when people speak of Kentucky having the world's leading hemp cultivars in late 18th century, late 19th century, Nobody was THC testing. Nobody cared. It was just being grown for what it was. So because of the insanity of the drug war, there was this attempt, because hemp was so valuable, to create this new category of just calling it hemp for stuff, everything else except for getting steady, everything else except for THC, you know, one of the 10, 20, 30,000 uses of hemp. We're going to just separate everything else out and call it hemp. Uh, weird idea to begin with, but maybe right for the time, 1976, Canadian researchers Shepard and Small come up with this, in their own words, arbitrary choice of 0.3% THC by dry weight. That's what we've been living under for the last 50 years, and it's not working. It's uh, 
it's a nice idea, but point three is not what cannabis hemp wants. It wants to be higher than that. And it wants to be have a range of THC levels based on the applications, many of which have nothing to do with smoking the finished female flower, which is the only place where THC resides. So our first mission here, almost everybody in hemp agrees now, is change that federal definition of hemp, raise it from 0.3% to 1%. And the reason that number's changed, that we're focusing at first on 1%, is a couple of reasons. The first is that it's an easy, simple fix. It's not too radical. Almost everybody can get behind it. Any, you know, these insane, stupid, backward-looking fears. But what if the children come into the field and smoke it? My answer to that is watch your kids, be a parent, and if it's THC and not meth and heroin, you should be happy. But aside from that, not alcohol and not pills. You know, we all want our kids to be healthy and sober and high on life. So 1% doesn't have anybody scared. But the other thing is it solves about 90% of the problems. Most everything that folks want to grow that's not a THC-based plant, generally speaking, you can keep it under 1%. But I should say, as you pointed out, that's not the end game. That's our game for this year, Gregorian 2021. And I do think it's going to happen. I got meetings on it this week. It sounds like there's a couple of key senators uh, in, in the U.S. Congress that are ready to move on it. Even uh, a bill has been reintroduced along those lines. So, and there's bipartisan support. Congress really has been supporting him last five, 10 years. But it's not enough. And the reason is bureaucrats and lawyers should not be telling farmers what to grow and how to grow it. It would be insane to, if we talked about any other crop. Well, you can have a Christmas tree farm, but it can't, the pine can't have a smell more than 1% pinene or tomatoes. You can't have a lycopene higher than 3%. Like it's insane. You can't tweak farmers' work in the soil. China doesn't give a crap and their fiber is strong, is, is world-leading fiber because partly because many people believe uh, they're not worried about what the THC level. It's just part of the plant, regardless of the, whether the flower's going to be ever smoked. So how do we resolve that? And it's, as you said, it's it's a great way for it is at the federal level, we call it THC irrelevance. There is no longer, eventually, no longer going to be any difference between cannabis and hemp at the federal level. The states can decide if you are trying to put female flower, which is the only place where THC resides in significant quantities, if you're trying to put female flower to the public, wholesale or retail level, your state might regulate above a certain THC level, let's say 3% or above, would be considered adult social use or medicinal use and go through a certain regulatory process like tobacco or alcohol. But on the farm, the farmer's not being tested. The only time the government, thank God, ever comes to my ranch is to test my freaking hemp. It's insane. My kids are like, what is this? What is this? And luckily, we've got a great state hemp program and great inspectors and very friendly and wanting everybody to succeed. And our state, like many, support 1%. So 1% is the first step, guys. If you haven't gotten active on it yet, Vote Hemp has a petition uh, you can find on the votehemp.org website. Call your congresspeople and senators say, we need to change 1% this year. Support all bills moving hemp to 1%. And it's got to happen this year. Is there anything else? What else can people do to get on this 1% train? Uh, we've got Courtney Moran's Agricultural Hemp Solutions. She's got the, she's working on that as well. Roundtable supports it. I think the National Industrial Hemp Council supports it. Everybody pretty much supports it. The Farm Bureau, 49 out of 50 ag commissioners and ag departments, all for, with the exception of what, Montana maybe or... <laughs> But we won't throw Montana under the bus. They're growing a bunch of hemp up there, and the IND hemp folks are up there 
but they're just wrong on the 0.3% thing. I think they'll get there. Yeah, I think it's uh, a couple of specific administrators that haven't gotten uh, the memory up. But boy, 48, 49 out of 50. It was beautiful. I I, I was uh, I heard that vote uh, recently this year. Key vote, the, the, the NASDA conference, the Association of the State Departments of Agriculture got together and they did not support it a year ago. And this year, so overwhelming, so overwhelming, not just in support and putting their vote down, but in the debate, when you're listening to the debate, States like Alaska and Florida, not like known liberal bastions, are saying, our farmers need this. We're sick of our farmers testing hot on this 0.3 nonsense. So it's got to happen. And I, I just urge everybody to, to get active on it so it happens sooner or later. I know I'll sleep better. And anytime I talk about it, people are I, – I can almost guarantee you this. I'm going to get emails saying, heard you on the, on, the, on the Let's Talk Hemp podcast. Great discussion. I'm with you on percent, man. I can't sleep until we change. Like farmers – really want it. So support your uh, independent farmers and buy their products. (laughs) Yep, for sure. And uh, we're going to get there. And why destroy millions and millions of dollars worth of material and put farmers at risk for losing everything that they have because of something that's just literally stupid? You know, one of the things that happened in our New Mexico legislature this year, it's a crazy time. I among the many things I came away with from from participating in it, oh, and my dog's paying us a visit right here. So, folks, if you hear a deep breathing and slurping, that's my dog kissing me right now. Hi, Otter. How did you get out of here? Um, okay. uh, so, um, one of the great things that happened in this session was uh, on the hemp side was a not so good hemp bill was put forth by our state environment department, a production bill. Our, I want to always emphasize this because I really appreciate Jeff Whitty, Brad Lewis, everybody in my State Department of Agriculture, because before our hemp program was instituted here, I spoke to the honchos at our Department of Ag, and we had an unsupportive governor a couple of years ago. We got a great governor now, and great lieutenant governor, and a great legislature that just passed full cannabis and everything. In an awesome way, by the way, home cultivation, which is a human right. Folks, if your state is legalizing cannabis, don't even tolerate for a second legalizing cannabis without home cultivation with no paperwork or registration. It's a human right. So we did that and we got a great statement, but we, we didn't have such a great governor a couple of years ago. And the department of ag said, our governor, my boss, they said, doesn't support it, but we promise the minute this changes, we're going to have a good hemp program. And they delivered. It is very easy to grow hemp on the cultivation side. I processed to the date my own product, organic, USDA certified organic. That's a great feeling, getting a federal certification when it was a class one, schedule one felony five years ago. Uh, in or- I process in Vermont, which has easy, easy, best in the nation, easily, production rules. And I haven't had to deal with our environment department here in New Mexico. But by reputation, they're not as communicative and participatory as the agriculture department is. And I've, I had lots of farmers complaining to me about it. All of a sudden, this bill pops up written by the Environment Department. Folks have no uh, history with hemp, and it's not friendly. It's not awful, but it's like things like right in there are things like if you don't, if you're carrying more than so many ounces of your hemp product and it smells like marijuana uh, and you don't have your certificate of permit on you when you're transporting hemp, which, by the way, by federal law, it's called the Supremacy Clause, legal to carry as many as you want. You can order a ton off Amazon right now if you want. Our state was trying to say, you are subject to a misdemeanor if you're a producer and don't have your paperwork. So it was a problematic bill. That was just one example of problem. And what was really problematic is they weren't talking to us farmers and they didn't know who us farmers were. Well, they do now because 
the when the when the first committee heard it in our session, you know, the last thing I want to do is get on a video conference and start testifying. You know, I got better things to do. I got soil to prep and, and kids to homeschool. It was this onslaught of overwhelming opposition from farmers all over state. And now we're united. We know who each other's are and we are ready to take, and we're not, we weren't being jerks about it. We were saying, no, we're not going to have a threat in my view. And many other farmers view every hemp production bill in the nation should have this title or something like it. How can we help regenerative independent farmers make great livings for rural communities and save humanities act? That's what the bill should be called. Not threatening us with misdemeanors. How dare you? And I'm really proud of this because at the first hearing, our representative who who had sponsored the bill, he's like, Jiminy Cricket, what's going on here? I had a meeting with him. He's like, I just, the the environment department said, do this. And I I said, okay, like, what's going on here? And I'm like, what's going on is they didn't ask us. And we, and guess what? We're not proposing anything radical. All we want is a good supportive production bill. Here's one. Here's Vermont's. We sent it to everyone. Do this. So the bill got quashed. The bad bill got quashed. And now we're starting negotiations with the Environment Department. We're cautiously optimistic they're going to listen to us. And we, we're not asking for much. Just give us Vermont's production bill, which is basically saying, thanks. How can we make it easier for you to get hemp to people? And I urge everyone who's active on the regulatory end, hemp, cannabis, any side of the plant, to, to carry with you the, the talking point that it's better to regulate for good players than for bad players. Because one of the things that we were having to explain to our regulators and our legislators here in New Mexico was they were saying, well, there was this problem up on uh, northern New Mexico where some people grew cannabis and instead of vamp, instead of that. I'm like, so thousands of farmers, you're going to regulate for like the inevitable 0.01% that are going to be jerks about it and criminals? No. Regulate for the 99% of people who are trying to freaking make a rural living and build soil and save humanity. And, and I really think the message is getting across. And it's, it was I, I, I thought I was going to come out of this deep dive into the politics feeling icky and dirty. And I came out just, I'm sending thank you notes now to so many legislators and our lieutenant governor and our governor. They just freaking came through, Mars. On the cannabis side, I think you may know this, our cannabis bill, which is due to be signed by our governor this week, it's two separate bills, but the legislature almost got it through. There was all these competing bills. They got the right one that turned into the right two bills through, but the session ended. We have a 60-day session. So the governor said, you know what? Special session next week. Get back there past cannabis. That there alone, uh, we're in a phase now where the governor says, special session to legalize ganja? Beautiful, right? Then it's like, well, is it going to be a good bill? It's not just a good bill. It's great, the two bills. One of them, first of all, for me, this personal, the most important thing, as we discussed earlier, is home cultivation. It's a human right. No paperwork, no, no signing up for your human right to grow. Everybody should be able to grow at least six plants per person mature, uh, which is what we have here in New Mexico. That's a little low, but I think that's what at this stage of humanity's awareness we could live with uh, for, for a family six or for an individual six, six plants. We got 12 plants per family max here in New Mexico. Six does it, does it call it a human right in the bill? It doesn't, but let's talk about the human right aspects that are in the, 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 the human rights bill, which is a separate bill. We have the cultivation bill, and the human, we have automatic cannabis 
record expungement in our New Mexico cannabis law that's about to be signed by the governor. So for folks, I I think many folks will know why this is important. Cannabis is one of humanity's longest utilized plants. And everybody from myself to especially people who have these darker skin, uh, like Barack Obama, recognize that your whole life was different if you had gotten busted. And people like Barack Obama and myself are so lucky that this didn't happen to us. I grew up in New York in the 80s where it didn't matter your skin color. One joint, you were had a record. I would have been sent to military school or something like that for utilizing humanity's most useful, one of humanity's most useful and longest utilized plants. It's beyond insanity. It's a it's a catastrophe of historic proportions, the millions of people who wound up going to jail for this beneficial plant. So this expungement, this record expungement makes me so proud to be a New Mexican. So that's personal growth. That's record expungement in the initial bill. Didn't make it into the final bill in the final compromise, but uh, in the initial bill, our state was going to subsidize medicinal cannabis for people that couldn't afford their cannabis. That was in the initial bill. So that one didn't make it in, but let's switch to the commercial side. We have this issue now going on for cannabis stores. Now for me, it's not about a cannabis store. It's about legalizing one's right to grow in one's own polyculture garden. Cannabis is just a plant in the garden. Get over it, people. But many people, I guess, are going to, especially in urban areas, are going to want to go to a store. And the store options in many places haven't been optimal. Everybody knows it's going to be much better if you grow quality, if you grow it yourself. I mean, you could argue that's true of tomatoes too, but at least you could go to a farmer's market and get good homegrown tomatoes, right? So our state's law has this great provision where micro businesses in state micro businesses can grow up to 200 mature plants that is awesome because i have nothing against what they call what do they call them msos multi-state operators big cannabis you know cannabis walmart's wannabes right or whatever maybe it's maybe it's friendlier than that more like a cannabis uh i don't know trader joe's or something right um you know, if they're growing regeneratively, paying farmers well, or better yet, owned by farmers and are offering organic options, soil building options, or doing great things in the field, fine, that's great. Like you could may arguably go to a big uh, organic supermarket. That's a chain sometimes if you have to. But I never go to the supermarket. This is just me. I either grow my own food, go to a farmer's market, or go to my local food co-op, which whereas I met the mother of my children. Um, and so... That's what we're favoring here in, in in New Mexico. You're going to be able to go to the farmer's market and support a person and think about it. They're growing 200, maximum 200 plants. And let's say that's 100 pounds. And let's say to them, the value of that is $1,000 a pound. That's a six-figure income for a small rural business. I'm just, I'm proud of our cannabis bill. I'm proud of Governor Lewin Grisham, Lieutenant Governor Howie Morales. And I got to shout out Representatives Martinez and Romero who sponsored these great cannabis bills here in New Mexico. It's a great time to be a New Mexican, I got to say. <laughs> That's awesome to hear. We've had good support here in Colorado. We've been certainly one of the leaders for since 2012. And while we haven't got everything perfect, it's nice to see other states that have looked at our mistakes and made their state's regulations better. And having guys like you on the front line out there that know the difference between good regulations and bad regulations, and your legislators are listening to you and making the right decisions, that's awesome to hear. 
Yeah, there's there's public concern. And yes, by the way, you're absolutely right. Colorado, as you know, the, the pioneers, the leaders in that first wave of 2012, the, the, had, did a, I mean, always had personal cultivation, like always had some of the key elements in there. And so props to Colorado. But yeah, I mean, our state completely gets it. You know, listening to the, the bill sponsors address naysayers during the debate, they were so unapologetic. You know, they recognize that it's a good thing for humanity, good thing for their state's economy, good thing for rural communities, good thing for public health, good things for public safety, for highway safety, everything. Everybody knows cannabis legalization is a great thing for as a patriotic American and a proud New Mexican or a proud Colorado. It's a great thing, right? So the people that very few people that aren't on the train, our sponsors of our bill in New Mexico, they were not apologetic. It was like uh, there was a question uh, I remember hearing. At, I mean, I, I, I hate to even bring this up because it's such ignorance at this point if you haven't got the memo. But it was like we have in our bill uh, public public enjoyment areas. Right. And so these people are saying, what are you saying? People are going to be able to like smoke the cannabis. And and the, the bill sponsors were saying, yeah, imagine if you're a provider, a small and state provider that can have a side area where people can enjoy their cannabis. All of a sudden you're selling them food because they're getting the munchies. And all of a sudden, hey, you're supporting a small business. Isn't that what we want here? You know, no apologies as there shouldn't. It should be get on board people and then and that's where we're at so if you're if you're in uh, we're at 18 full legalization states now i really only count the ones that have home cultivation included but let's just call it 18 states so if you're in the what 32 more uh states that have to fully adult social use legalize baseline first of all go in there with the attitude that you know this is a good thing make sure that there is home cultivation allowed with no paperwork and have the commercial side include micro business provisions that support in-state provisions so it's not just going to the highest bidder and props to new york too because in the last minute they included these kind of provisions as well so um we're getting there (laughs) we are getting there yeah you got new york and new jersey that have gone back to back here in the last three or four months that's going to make a big difference i think in the long run definitely although new jersey's got to add home grow new New jersey doesn't have home grow i think yeah well progress is being made. Do you think that we're going to have Biden and Harris do the decriminalization this year, or is that not going to happen in 2021? I was betting that that it could. After the election, I I gave him 12 to 18 months. I like that crystal ball outlook. I would say my sense is that it's likely to be congressionally led. The Congress, which supports cannabis renaissance, is going to be the leader, and I just hope that the executive branch just stays out of the way, just is like, okay, and just says, signing it. Because uh, history shows not great leadership on the executive branch, on including recent history. Yeah. Um, Obama didn't do it. Trump didn't do it. And people were hoping that both of those guys would do it. Not only that, but we have people that were fired from White House staffs in the last few weeks for honestly disclosing their enjoyment of cannabis instead of being thanked and promoted as they should be for utilizing a plant rather than dangerous substances. They're fired. And it's like the shock wave that's gone through the community of like, whoa, there are people that at that high a level that don't get it. That's unacceptable. And again, Forgiveness comes when these people are rehired and the the, bill, the full legalization of federal legalization of cannabis happens 
not some half-assed rescheduling, but just pulling it out of the Controlled Substances Act. Right. Well, Rush Limbaugh got the whatever the Medal of Honor from Trump, and you know what that guy was putting in his body to have his life. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's too bad. People that are addicts on these pharmaceuticals and we could help substitute it with a natural plant while building soil. Yeah. <laughs> so what's up with American Hemp Farmer? How's the book done since you released it a year ago? Thanks for asking that. Great. I mean, uh, I'm proud to say my previous book, Hempbound, is still one of my publisher's top 20 selling books. What is it now? Seven years later. So this is, uh, you know, it came with a, with a lot of oomph. And my publisher, Chelsea Green, has a history of doing this. They have an author that um, gets known as sort of the go-to guy on fermentation, Sander Katz, right? So he wrote an earlier book about fermentation and then a new book about fermentation that sort of updates it. And American Hemp Farmer is very practical because Hemp Farmer, uh, Hemp Bound, the previous book, was very high altitude. It was all the possibilities that hemp could bring from a realistic perspective, not from a, what you might call the uh, lava lamp in the dorm room perspective. <laughs> and I still get, you know, all the time people writing with thoughts and questions and reactions to hemp bound. But the most common comment I got from from fans of the of, of my work was, how about something practical? So American Hemp Farmer takes you through an entire season as a regenerative farmer and everything I do is comedic investigative journalism. So it's mostly about mistakes that I and others have made. So the planting chapter, for instance, is about the nightmare of using a seed drill, sometimes called a grain drill and how it just delays, you know, why don't we just sink these things in by hand, these seeds in by hand, because these grain things get clogged and they don't work. And it's hard to get the, the they don't, they do work, but it, you have to learn the nuances of them. And they always, almost always ask any farmer, they almost, almost always add time to your planting day where you're trying to say, okay, is it coming out at the spacing that I want? Is it planting at the depth that I want? So the whole book is sort of like that all the way through things like marketing and, and elements of the hemp season that I think are so important in terms of extending humanity's tenure on earth or that connecting the dots in your work and life mode that I, I, I talked about earlier and that I think is so important. So in the book, I have this interview with a fellow um, in Hawaii on the Big Island whose native Hawaiian whose family decided to restart the sandalwood industry, which had been devastated uh, by, uh, by unsustainable practices um, um, uh, in the 18th and, uh, sorry, 19th and 20th centuries. And he looked at the forest, you know, whatever, how many hundreds of acres that his family has, and looked at it and said, you know, just from super old or downed trees, we could do X amount per year without, in fact, with while increasing the forest. In other words, forget about managing at its consistent level. We can actually improve this status of the sandalwood forest if we do X amount per year. So let's call it six tons. I can't remember the amount. So they decided, they made it their company policy and their family business policy. We're not going to increase our capacity of the amount of supply that we do on the sandalwood for two human generations. Because that'll give, you know, by the time our grandkids take over this, they can look at this and say, do we want to increase? Do we want to increase, decrease, or do we want to stay the same? I love that. How is that for a countercurrent to this one quarter profit, short selling nonsense that we have in the hedge fund stock market era? It's the exact polar opposite. And guess what the revenue is? from this for them on this 
couple hundred acre forest. Millions. I can't remember. I'm going to get, I'm going to, it's in the book. It's an American hemp farmer, but I'm going to say 3 million of revenue per year to their family. How's that? A $3 million business through long-term regenerative. I just bought a bunch of their essential oil for my sweetheart's uh, birthday, which is coming up. That's, that is the humanity saving business mode. And it's still making them a ton of money. I think, I think we went up to that together when we had Hawaii hemp conference there in 2017, but I think we went up there with Lely. Is that? Wasn't that awesome? How that sandal smelled. I didn't know that the actual product is the heart. It's like the most inner, inner, innermost part of the wood and how great that smelled there from those piles. That was really memorable. There was also like all kinds of ancient Hawaiian like shrines and stuff on the, in the forest and on the property. Remember that? That was, yeah. that was a really, really fun day, wasn't it? That was a fun trip. I'm glad that we got to do that. Totally. We'll have to be doing uh, the Hawaii thing again. Well, I'm going out there here shortly, but not to do any sort of hemp conference, but we'll bring back that hemp th- conference back to Hawaii here. If not this year, next year. Say hello, aloha to everyone. I'm glad that you're going to be uh, uh, recharging after all the hard work of, of NOCO. You guys were not taking no for an answer on NOCO this year. <laughs> nope, no on NOCO. Now we're off to Southern Hemp Expo. We're going to get that fired up and get people excited to come join us in Raleigh, North Carolina. Moving, to, moving to North Carolina. I'll be there talking about all these issues and supporting the other farmer entrepreneurs because it really, honestly, it's a movement. I talked about how I discussed, how I discovered this in that even in, in sort of little humble New Mexico, I say little, I mean like, you know, low population. All of a sudden we're on these huge calls with farmers saying we need to have this kind of production bill, right? It's a real thing. I get notes all the time from farm to farm to product organic, regenerative people doing regional hemp products. So look for that, folks. In your food co-op, at your farmer's market, there's even CSAs, community-supported agriculture. If you're familiar with that, if you're not, look that up. Look up community-supported agriculture, CSA. See if there's an organic CSA in your community, not just for your hemp cannabis, but for all your food. But farmer's markets are great. Food co-ops are great. You can support regional hemp farmers and other food, and it's going to be best, best quality. Well, that's what we were talking about here is regenerative entrepreneurship, um, mom and pops, craft producers coming from the music industry, independent artists or the beer industry, craft brewers. There is a room for craft in this world. And it's up to folks like us and like-minded folks that want to democratize business and democratize industries so that we all can participate. And it is a big 10. And there can be the big producers out there and the multinationals. But if humanity is going to survive, we know that everyone has to participate. Absolutely. One of our missions, this is a bit about the sausage making, but one of our legislative missions is we really have to provide a countercurrent to the current, and I think largely, not totally, but largely misguided moves to over-sanitation in the food industry. This is something I wrote about an American hemp farmer too, where I spoke to some of the folks that are really renowned in this latest sort of wave of automating all farming and planting and flat out, you'll see in the book, I know you've read it, 
telling me their ideal in this mode of following the global food safety initiative and the primus initiative and in, in the u.s we have this bad food bill called uh fisma that we we need to uh, tweak or at least provide exceptions to um he, the, some of these experts that i spoke to were saying our goal for farming is no humans ever being around the plant with their fingers and their microbes it's all automated everything planting seeding stuff and then you nuke it and then you 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 if fisma calls for this you have to sanitize every counter in a way bottom line is it's throwing the baby out with the bathwater. obviously we want safe food of course we all want safe food for our families and there's a there's room for certain things there but to kill say death to all microbes microbes is what keeps me healthy microbes in my gut i want good microbes and so i want living foods and so we need a special niche of food production not just in hemp cannabis that says we don't want this over sanitized stuff that's ending up in a box store triple wrapped in five times of plastic we want living food provided by regional providers will we want the microbes um, so this is part of a longer discussion, and I, and I wrote about it in American Hemp Farmer, but it's an important part of this rege- regenerative entrepreneurial stuff is that you have to play by certain rules, and we need to change some of those food production rules. Certainly. I think there's good dirt and bad dirt, in short. <laughs> I'm sitting in a pile of goat poop right now, for real. You can see it. The listeners can't see it. I'm sitting in a pile of goat poop, and I would eat off it, but – don't ask me to touch the uh, like hand holder in a in a like city subway, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll take you'll take those microbes there and those germs. <laughs> the ones here in the ranch, yeah. Right, exactly. So we need to wrap up here. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners before we move on and say goodbye? I guess only two things. One is if you can hear this. Can you hear that on your end? Not really. Is that him? It's my seed shaking in their jar. It's almost planting time. So I'm, I'm sending blessings to farmers everywhere of all crops. If you grow regeneratively, do your whole business as regeneratively. If you're produ- if you're processing, try to solar power it. Blessings to you all who are helping my family and yours survive. Own your genetics, as Wendell Berry, the great Kentucky philosopher, reminded me. Own your genetics. Is my suggestion. There were some situations where this model of the last century, where you buy from a seed company and they own it, you can't replace. To my mind, that's a 99.9% BS. Everybody should own their seeds, and there's plenty of good seed that you can get hemp and cannabis. You got to be smart. And another thing I cover in the book, you got to be a smart shopper when you're shopping for genetics, but buy and develop your own genetics. That is your farmer IP. Don't seek uniformity and a few cultivars that are the only ones that are around. Seek diversity. The the uniformity is what causes, along with a lot of other factors, the obesity and the diabetes and all that is people just eating monoculture with poison sprayed on in the, in the field. We're looking for diversity in our um, food system. So that's the one one thing I want to leave people with is blessings to your planting, own your seeds. And if you want to read my books, you can find information on all my stuff at dougfine.com. Awesome, brother. I love you, man. And it's so good to talk to you. And I can't wait till we get to see each other in person again. It'll be soon. It'll be July, if not sooner. Um, and uh, yeah, I can't wait. Thanks for all your work. All right. Thanks, man. We'll talk, talk soon. to you. The third annual Southern Hemp Expo is now open for exhibitor and sponsor registration. 
This year's event will take place at the Convention Center in Raleigh, North Carolina on September 2nd through the 4th, where we will have three days of conferences, seminars, and workshops, 250-plus exhibitors, and numerous networking and entertainment opportunities. For more information, check out SouthernHempExpo.com. And that is going to wrap it up for Episode 6 of Volume Up, the Let's Talk Hemp podcast. And I again want to thank my good friend Doug Fine for joining me on this episode. You can get Doug's books and find out all that he is up to on his website at DougFine.com. Be sure to check out Let'sTalkHemp.com and subscribe to our weekly Let's Talk Hemp newsletter for the most up-to-date information on the hemp industry. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please hit that subscribe button on the player share it with your friends and family, and if you're feeling it, leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you came across the show. If you are interested in sponsoring, advertising, or being a future guest, drop us a message to info at letstalkhemp.com. And until next time, we'll catch you on the other side. listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 99.9% of our DNA is identical. It's a 0.1% that truly makes us different and unique. And that's what the show is about. Find out that 0.1% about your favorite guests. Find out what music they like their first cannabis experience, and even what their room looked like growing up. But more importantly, or as important, their journey. Learn what makes them unique on Everything is Personal.